Okay, so we're officially starting our two-service format this week with our 9.15 and 11 a.m. service. And last week we did a trial run of it, and I think that confused a few people, so sorry. But now we're on the same page that we are doing our new service format, and we're starting a special six-week series called How to Be Married. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. And if you don't have a Bible, it will come up on the screen, and we have free Bibles on our resource table, so please take one and keep it. Um, of course, we want to take these six weeks, and we want this to be helpful to people who are married, okay? But this, uh, this series is not just for people, clearly, it's, it's clearly not just for people who are married. It's for, uh, any, it's for really everybody in this sense that most people desire marriage. And so obviously, if you have a future interest in marriage, this is going to be very helpful for you. But what, you might say, what if somebody's celibate, they're, they're deaf, dead set on being celibate, or they are divorced, perhaps, and they have no interest in, in remarrying? Um, well, even for the, those two groups of people, I think there's going to be enormous benefit in this series because we're going to be talking about relationships in general. There's going to be a lot of universal truths that apply. And if, you know, as believers, if we're going to be a part of a church, we're going to relate to and know a lot of married people. And so this stuff is going to actually help us in those friendships as well, no matter who we are. Now, one question also might be is, well, six weeks on marriage, like that's a, a lot of focus on one subject. And Honestly, we've never done a, a six-week thing like, like this before on marriage. We've done individual messages on it, but we've not taken a whole slew of time to just focus on this one topic. Uh, and so, you know, it's a good question to ask, like, is this too much focus? Well, I think it'd be fair to say that marriage is not everything. Marriage is not the most important thing in life. But I think it's also fair to say that it is still a really important thing. And for anyone who wants to be married, surely wants to have a successful marriage. And if, as marriages turn bad, it, it, you know what it's like if marriages turn bad. It creates a lot of havoc in people's lives. And if we can avoid that, that'll be better for everybody involved. Um, there has actually, in actual fact, never been a society in history where marriage wasn't fundamental to people's lives. Not one. If, you read, if you're a student of history, you read history, there's not one civilization or culture where marriage wasn't fundamental to almost all people's lives in that culture. Today, however, though, people have a negative view of marriage. People tend to, uh, they're, they're weary of marriage or they're uh, fearful of marriage. And uh, if you were married to me, you would probably have that view of marriage. Um, thankfully, God blessed me with a very positive wife who uh, uh, has a good view of life itself. So, you know, she bears with me. Um, but the interest in and the amount of marriage has decreased in our culture, but the profound longing for it hasn't. So a Gallup poll um, looking at Americans between the age of 18 and 34 showed that only 9% of that group had zero interest in marriage. And it proves the point, even though people are afraid or scared or cautious of marriage, actually that profound longing is still deeply embedded into people's hearts. It's the way God has intended it. And over the six weeks, we're going to be going through these subject matters. So today's freedom and marriage. We're going to be unpacking that. Next week, identity and marriage. Then fulfillment marriage. Then singleness and marriage. That's an important topic. You know, even if we are married, we'll be single again at some point. Um, because obviously marriage is not forever. So that's going to be an important topic. And obviously our church, we have a lot of singles in our church. So it's going to be important to look at that. Then divorce and remarriage. And then sex and marriage. Now don't be the person who misses church on the Sunday that we talk about sex and marriage. Okay, don't be that person. You know you don't want to be that person. And uh, I'm actually a shameless plug for my small group. So Jacob plugged his small group. I want to plug my small group. Um, 
I'm doing a group based on uh, the book The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, and we meet on th we're going to be meeting on Thursday night. So I'd love I still have a few spots in my group, so it is filling up. So if you want to get in my group, please sign up. Uh, and I will be basing some of the sermon series as well on some of the content in that book. So if you're familiar with that book, you'll see some of the stuff as, as we go through this series, more so on some weeks than others. Here's the central point I want to share with you today, though. It comes from Psalm 119, verse 30. This is the big idea. This is the summary and application. If there's one thing you can try to remember from today, remember this. The Bible says this. The psalmist writes this. They write, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. And I'm, I'm pulling this out of Psalm 119, and I want to apply it to marriage because it perfectly applies itself as a, a statement, a decision, I've chosen, that's a decision, the way of faithfulness. This is a way of living a loyal life, a committed life, a covenantal life. This is the central thing we want to get home, push home today about marriage. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. We need help. We need so much help. Uh, teach us about marriage. Teach us how to choose the way of faithfulness today. And I pray today you would restore broken marriages. You'd heal struggling marriages. I pray today that you would equip people who in the future will be married, that you would uh, help them grow and become more and more shaped into the image of your son. And uh, God, we, we cry out for that in Jesus' name. And just, just please be glorified in all of this and, and help us to, to bring great glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And, and today, you know, if you're here, you're not, you're not a follower of Jesus yet. We're so glad you're with us. And, you know, we hope that you get some help in terms of how to think about marriage. I think you will. But more than that, we want to introduce you to the person of Jesus and, we, and just invite you to kind of play along, like what does it look like to actually follow Jesus uh, today as we go through uh, this series, we begin this series. Let's read here, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. This was written a couple of thousand years ago by a guy called the Apostle Paul, actually quoting from Genesis to begin with. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, the Apostle Paul, he uh, started a lot of churches and wrote this. This is a letter he wrote uh, to a particular church. And he wrote many letters instructing Christians of how to live their lives. And the Bible has so much to say about this. Let me read this again. This is deep, ancient wisdom for us. Let me read it again. He writes, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, the Bible has, has an enormous amount to teach us about family. In fact, you, you know, the, the Bible, you could essentially say, is the story of many families. I mean, it, it counts genealogies uh, throughout the whole, all the scripture, but also Jesus being the son of God himself. That's, that's family language describing the, the, how the, the son relates to the father. Um, but as it relates to family, the Bible has a lot to say about a very important facet of family life, which is marriage, an enormous amount, so much teaching about marriage. And, and here, the apostle Paul is borrowing from the first book in the Bible, Genesis, and he's quoting about the very first wedding that was performed by God himself in marrying the first two people that he created together. And he's saying that the, the man will leave his parents and he'll be uh, essentially, so God was the parent. So that actually, Adam, the first man, is going to leave God the father and actually be married to his spouse. And they're going to create a new family 
together. And uh, the Bible, this is in the very beginning. The Bible starts with a marriage. It ends with a marriage. It's full of teaching and examples of marriage. Why? Why is it so central in the Bible? Three reasons. Firstly, it's a profound mystery. It says it here in verse 32. Marriage is a profound mystery, and it's mysterious in so many ways. Uh, One way it's, it's very mysterious to us is that um, it, it can seem like a bit of a fairy tale to us at times, especially when we're younger. Marriage is like this kind of fairy tale idea. Uh, but when people, and we have this euphoria about, you know, the, the big grand weddings and all this kind of stuff. And then when people actually get married, it's like one of the hardest, most difficult things they've ever experienced. Everybody, absolutely everybody, and when I say everybody, I really mean everybody, underestimates how stinking difficult marriage actually is. It is so so tough, so difficult, but also people underestimate and undervalue how glorious it can be and how good it can be if it's done right. It can give us our highest highs and our lowest lows. Now, in my marriage, uh, my wife is, uh, she's somebody who's encouraged me in my life more than anybody else. She knows my greatest failures and flaws and all the terrible things about me. She knows them all more than anybody else, yet she has been uh, she's brought me the greatest comfort and encouragement, and she's been the greatest cheerleader for me. And that's the strength of marriage that marriage can bring. But also, you know, she's pointed out things to me before, like I have a strange indent under the underside of my nose uh, that I didn't know was there. And so uh, didn't, she pointed it out to me one day, like, oh, you know, she made this comment about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? This, you know, and I look in the mirror, and now that's all I can see. Is <laughs> This is the gift of marriage, the profound mystery of Two people coming together and the strange things you learn about each other and the ups and the downs about it. The Bible tells us it's a profound mystery and it tells us how to understand the mystery. The second reason there's so much in the Bible about it is that God has made marriage. God is the inventor and designer of it. Marriage did not evolve during the Bronze Age to regulate property rights, as some people have suggested and proposed. That's not where it comes from. Okay, it comes, God is the creator of marriage. And if, therefore, he's the creator of it, we must seek the true purpose of marriage, and it only comes from God. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, Robocop was one of my favorite movies growing up, and uh, I'm, the, the danger in using this as an illustration is that I'm dating myself. Um, but they recently remade it, and the remake is okay, but the original is far better in my, in my opinion. And um, if you, on the surface, you watch Robocop, and it seems like it's just a movie about this you know, cop who was basically turned into a robot and then he goes around shooting bad guys and just cleaning up all the bad people in the bad city. And that's what it kind of seems like, you know, classic good and evil kind of movie. Um, But the director reveals the mystery. He revealed to us uh, in an interview the purpose behind the movie. And actually, Robocop is an allegory for Jesus. So the idea is that he was killed, he died, but then he was resurrected again, and now he's basically bringing justice in the world. He's a peacemaker in the world. That's the mission of Jesus. And even at one point in the movie, Robocop actually walks on water. There's a scene of him walking through water, looking as if like this Christ-like figure, like trying to eliminate bad guys. Jesus with a gun. It's not the allegory breaks down at some point, and he's kind of mechanical. He doesn't really embody the compassion of Jesus, kind of a cold figure. So it doesn't perfectly illustrate. But if you didn't know the director's intent you would watch the movie and draw conclusions and you would only see one layer of it. But now that you, the mystery, the, the intent and the reason 
for it has been revealed to you, you, you see it in a deeper level. And you say, oh, wow, I didn't see the imagery and the symbolism. I didn't see that and that. Wow, that means so much more to me. It is exactly the same with marriage. If you just take it at face value, what you think it is, you're going to do it wrong. But actually, if you see how God has intended it to be, then you can actually understand the profound mystery of it and reap the benefits as God has intended it to be. The third reason the Bible says so much about marriage is that good marriages are the bedrock of thriving societies. The absolute bedrock on which thriving societies are built. So this brings me back to the central point, the big idea, this idea that I have chosen the way of faithfulness, that societies aren't good and thriving because politicians are good. Of course not, that's crazy. They're good because the people within them are truth tellers and are loyal people and are committed people. They're people who uphold their agreements so that society doesn't fall to shreds. And that, can only, that comes about by people saying, I'll, I'll be committed to the things that I've promised I'll do. It comes about by there being solid people. And this is so tragic to think about this. It doesn't matter who the group of people are, where they live, who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. But where you, in, group, in communities where you have higher amounts of infidelity and you, where you have higher amounts of broken family, you have more crime and lower income and compounding problems. All kinds of trouble where you have more infidelity, more broken families, the social fabric is torn apart and it's falling to pieces. And Christians, we believe, we know that God has given marriage to all civilizations for their benefit, for their blessing, because marriage brings stability. Marriage brings healing and brings hope and brings health. It's the only context actually that children can successfully thrive in. Um, governments actually have a vested interest in marriage oftentimes because uh, they know this. They know, you know if, if you see a government trying to provide direct care for children, it's never good. It, it, that system is usually pretty bad. I mean, there may be a few cases where it, you know, it turns out okay, but usually that kind of system is pretty bad because kids need intact families in order to thrive. In fact, the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia found that kids who grow up in married parents, with, with both, married, both parents are married, husband and wife, are two to three times more likely to have positive life outcomes. It's, an, it's a, such a powerful truth. So discovering God's purpose for marriage can do a couple of things. It can heal hard marriages. Maybe you're in a tough marriage right now. Once you discover the true purpose of marriage, it can bring healing and hope for your marriage. But the second thing it can do is for anyone who desires to be married. married. Anyone who is open to that in the future, it can actually help you select an appropriate spouse. Other than following God, the, most, the second most important decision you'll ever make is the person you marry. It will define the rest of your life. It will shape the rest of your life. And when you understand the true purpose of marriage, it helps you be a bit more selective, a bit more careful. It's far better to not get married than to marry the wrong person. And next week, thank you, uh, the next week, We'll be talking about one of the big purposes of marriage. Actually, next week is going to be, a, I really want you to come back next week. It's going to, it's going to be a foundational week uh, talking about one of the great purposes of marriage. But today I want to, I want to take a, a kind of a different angle on this. I want to talk about freedom. Freedom as it relates to marriage. Because the underpinning of our culture right now, one of the, the, the biggest kind of ideologies in our culture is that to be fulfilled, to be happy, uh, you have to attain to the highest levels of individuality. That's the way, to be, to, you basically have to, unchain yourself and to, to, to that's you know once you find complete self-actualization and, and complete individuality then you'll be the freest 
Everything, anything other than that is restrictive and boring and, and, and taking all the fun out of your life and holding you back. So you want to throw off, that's, that's, that's the, the, the cultural underpinning, the cultural ideology that we live with, that the highest value is individuality because that's the greatest fulfillment. I'm going to argue today that that is fundamentally flawed and that the truth is actually the opposite of that, is that we actually need to have, we actually, that through well-placed restrictions in our lives, that's what brings about fulfillment and freedom. Through uh, embracing limitations and essentially through covenant marriage, through making this vow by saying, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. By being a person like that, saying, I, I want to be a person who chooses the way of faithfulness. To, be, to, to live like that actually brings the greatest joy and satisfaction and freedom in our lives. Far more than living a promiscuous life and bouncing from relationship to relationship. I mean, it should be common sense that that wouldn't make you happy in the long run, but maybe it's not common sense. Even cohabitation, I'm going to argue that's far superior to cohabitation, and especially far superior than extramarital relationships or introducing other things into the relationship. People try to spice up their marriages sometimes. They introduce different things into it, pornography or extramarital affairs and these other things. And most of the people that do this report, this, harm, this has harmed their marriage rather than helped it. Let me, let me illustrate this. Uh, Floyd Money Mayweather uh, recently had one of the most hyped boxing matches. Maybe you heard about it or saw it recently. He's now the number one grossing athlete in all of human history, I think. I don't know exactly what he's worth, but it's ridiculous amounts of money. And he came out of retirement to have this epic fight. And you could look at the guy, actually we've got some pictures of him here. We've got him holding a wad of cash. The guy flaunts his, 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 his success like you wouldn't believe. And then this next picture of him with his private jet and several lots of cars. He actually has like, I think, four times the amount of cars than he has in that picture. The guy, you could look at the guy and say like, wow, he's achieved like the greatest individuality and freedom. Like the guy, the world is his oyster. He can do anything he wants. How did he achieve it? How did he do it? Well, in one sense... He did it through actually massive restrictions on his life. Through saying, I will only do these things and I will not do all these other things in my life to achieve this level of success. So we're going to see these other pictures. So he has to train rigorously morning, afternoon, and evening. He has to swim. He has to do cardio. He has to do all these boxing drills. He has to um, restrict his diet. He has you know, funny different exercises he's having to do. He has to train hard. He has to restrict himself, restrict his time. He has to make choices all the time. Now, I'm not saying... Don't misunderstand the example. I'm not saying that true freedom and fulfillment is found in owning an airplane and cars and flaunting all this wealth around. I'm just what I am saying is though is that if you're going to succeed at anything, the, the more you want to succeed at it, the more restrictions you have to place on yourself to actually get there. So if you want to have a successful marriage, you have to place massive restrictions on yourself in order for it to flourish. And that is true in every. That's true in your career. If you want to have a good career, you have to. Say, there are things, I will, I, will, I will do these things and I will not do these things to actually have a thriving career. It applies to any area of life. Now, verse 31, we read it before. Let's read it again. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. This phrase, hold fast, this literally means to be glued to something. To be glued to something. This is the intent of of marriage. This is what marriage is. Marriage is permanent. Marriage is binding. It is glue. It's a unification that unites two people together. For marriages to survive the challenges and the pressures of life, 
they've got to be built together with the strongest glue. So you might say, however much I despise this person right now, we're stuck with each other. And that's a good thing. That's why the Bible says, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. That's why that, that idea from Psalm 119, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I've chosen to be loyal to this person no matter what happens. And the, the glue that we're talking about, the strongest glue is a covenantal glue. And the Bible is full of covenants. It's full of promises and vows. It's full of people making promises to each other. And it's full of God making promises to us as well. And they're binding promises. Now, some people won't, this is a common objection. Maybe you've had this, maybe you've said this, but some people will object to this and say, you know what? I don't need a piece of paper to express my love to somebody. We just love each other. It's just that simple. You know, marriage complicates it. We don't need that nonsense. We're just, we're just, we're just in love. We love each other. And of course, anyone who says that is basically saying, they're talking about a very specific type of love. They're talking about romantic love. That's fine. They can be talking about that. And they're actually, that's actually true what they're saying. Or if you've said that, that's true. That a signed agreement between two people will not grow those kinds of feelings. Those kinds of feelings already exist. So the signed agreement won't grow them. But to make that statement is to completely misunderstand the purpose of marriage and the type of love that marriage requires. Jesus' view of love is totally different to the world's view of love. In Jesus' view of love, love is not quantified by what the individual gets out of it, by what we get out of it. Love is quantified in this way by how much we're willing to give. That's what true love is. That's self-sacrificing love that says, what am I willing to give to this? That's a much higher level of love. If we dismiss marriage, if we say, no, I don't need that piece of paper, I don't need it, it's not for me, what we're essentially saying is we're saying, I don't love this person enough to close off all other options. Essentially, we're saying my love is not at marriage level. Now, traditional views of marriage get marriage wrong. They view marriage as only the self-sacrificing obligation part, okay? So this is traditional views of marriage get it wrong in this regard. They say, you gotta get married for the sake of the tribe, for the sake of the community, you know, just for us to have a successfully thriving society, you just have to bind yourself to this person for the rest of your life, even if you're miserable. And this is a strategic alliance. It's your duty. That's often, that's the, the overemphasis, the, 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 the wrong, unhelpful emphasis on, on marriage. That's the traditional view. But the modern view falls into a different pit, falls into a different trap. The modern view, as I've said, is that marriages or relationships are only based on romantic love. And we've got to see if we're going to be wise people, if we're going to be people who actually believe the words of Jesus and want to follow the ancient truth of the scripture, that the Bible actually holds both of these things up and puts them together. They're both important. They both go together. The Bible holds up self-sacrificing commitment, which is the highest form of love that you could ever express, is self-sacrificing commitment. That's the covenant. And it holds up passionate intimacy, and it puts them together in marriage. It says marriage is supposed to be both of these things. Traditional views get one. Modern views get one. They're both incomplete. You need to put them together to have a proper biblical marriage. So, for example, in, in, in the Bible, there's a whole book, The Song of Solomon. It's all about romance between a, a man and a woman initially, and then they eventually get married, and it talks about some of the erotic encounters they have together. And it's a little bit spicy in places, and, it's, and the Bible is all for that. The Bible is all for 
it says, get, be drunk with love. It says it in the Bible there to married couples, especially be, be intoxicated with romantic intimacy. The Bible's all for it. Totally. So, but it's also all for covenants as well. The reality is when you think about romance and passion, you think about the euphoria of new love, especially new love that people, actually people, scientists will say that I think that somebody who's got new love, they're newly in love with somebody, it has the same effect on your brain as taking crack cocaine. That's why it's so addicting to people. That's why people are always moving on to new relationships, new relationships, because it's that euphoria you get from that thrill that this person is interested in me. <gasps> me. They love me. See, that's, that's the romance love rather than the sacrificial love of what am I willing to give to this person. But if we think about romance and those passion and those feelings, they're, 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 they're just that. They're feelings. And what happens to feelings? They fluctuate. They go up and they go down. They change over time. There are peaks and valleys. They're not consistent. And actually, your emotions can be changed on a couple of different levels. It can be changed by your biology. So in you know, a long-term relationship, you may not always feel like actually having physical intimacy with each other because your biology may not always be, allow you to do that because your biology changes over time and there can be things that can make it a challenge in different seasons. So that's not always there. And that's okay. The Bible is aware of that. We're aware of that as Christians. But also to have a healthy relationship, to have those affectionate feelings towards somebody, you've got to have a healthy relationship. If your relationship is out of whack, and you're being mistreated or you're mistreating each other, you don't have those warm feelings of affection for each other. And so the emotions go up and down. There's peaks and valleys to it, which is why the Bible says you need a covenant. The only way you're going to have that forever love that you want, that forever intimacy that you desire, that lifelong commitment, is you have to have both a covenant mixed in with that romantic interest, and that, that covenant gets you through the valleys. That's the biblical wisdom. That's one of the profound mysteries of marriage that our culture doesn't understand. We don't understand marriage at all. We've got it totally wrong, totally backwards, and this is the beauty of it, that the covenant helps you through the valleys. This is the truth of Scripture, that a spouse is willing to say, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have chosen. It's a decision to love when it's hard. In our marriage, Heather and I, we, we've had some great highs, but we've also had some really dark periods in our marriage. When about eight years ago now, when we first moved to Chicago, we moved here to start Destination Church, and uh, it's a lot of work to start a church, and I really threw myself into the work, and I became consumed with it in a way that was very unhealthy, and um, I was being really snappy with her, and I was really abdicating my parenting uh, responsibilities, and uh, I made some awful, awful mistakes during that season of our life for, for a, a couple of years there. And uh, looking back on that, Heather says that one of the things that she realized that she needed to own was that she kind of uh, enabled me to do that, that she didn't challenge me. She didn't want to be another pressure in my life, another, uh, she didn't want to, you know, upset me in any way. So she kind of let me get away with all of this, all of this stuff. And so we, we both had some things to own. I had an enormous amount of it to own that was on me, and I had failed. And, and we were traveling at one point, we were out of town, and we had one of the hardest conversations we've ever had in our lives. That, um, we had this terrible conversation, and I basically, you know, we, we just didn't have, you know, it was very hard for her to respect me in that, for that moment. I didn't have strong love for her in that moment. It was very dark, and she actually walked out on me and slammed the door. She's never done that before or since. And that's, a, that's actually, that slamming doors and walking out, that can be kind of a vice that some people have. I, I'd encourage you to not do that, um, because it's, especially on a regular basis, because it's very manipulative. But um, she was justified, justified in doing that. It's not typical. If you know my wife, she's not that kind of person. 
It wasn't typical for her, but it was necessary. It, it was such a low moment, it taught me something, that like I could lose this, the most important person in my life, the greatest gift I've ever received. By the way I'm living, I could lose this. But the beauty was we'd made, the beauty was we glued ourselves together. We were stuck with each other, and there's beautiful social pressure that comes from both sets of families, from our whole community, from everybody who knows us, the fact that we had children together. All of these things meant that through the dark times that everybody will face, everybody will face these awful dark times in marriage because it's one of the hardest things you could ever do. That covenant is the thing that gets you through. That covenant is the thing that gets you through. In fact, studies show this, that two-thirds of marriages that are unhappy will become happy in five years if the couple sticks together. Which is tragic when you think about how many marriages just quickly end. People just quickly get out of it. Oh, it's not satisfying me. It's not doing what I want it to do. I'm unhappy. I'm going to get out of it. Now, marriages are difficult to get out of on purpose because you want them to survive. You want them to last. Especially for the sake of children and other such things. But, but also for your own sake as well. So that, so that you can keep to your promises. But there are sometimes that a marriage does need to end, and there's room for that. The Bible has room for that. There's, there's times where the covenantal breach is so great that the marriage can end, and it can be a sign of grace to rescue somebody from a bad, bad marriage, and that can be necessary at times. But it is hard on purpose to break up the marriage because it's, it's glue. It's glue that holds you together through those tough times. It's the glue that helps that genuine love, that Christ-like love, actually flourish in your life. To have, there's, there's no other way to get Christ-like love than through a vow, than through making this kind of vow that says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. That's marriage-level love right there. Recently, I just performed a marriage. We have several new uh, married couples in our church, and uh, I think, think the most recent one was Thomas and Ashley, uh, who were here during our last uh, service. But they, um, I was... I had the privilege of, of officiating their wedding, and during the exchanging of, of the rings, one of the things we say is, um, or the thing we say in the, in the exchanging of the rings is, I give you this ring as a symbol of my love and faithfulness. This ring as a symbol. So that means in public, now everywhere you go, you wear this ring as a sign to everybody else, I'm off of the market, I'm not available, I'm committed, I'm in a covenant relationship with one other person. And so if, if you're the kind of person who says, I don't need marriage, I don't need that, that stuff, That's just, that just complicates it, you're essentially saying that when I'm not with my partner or my cohabitator or whatever you, whatever you call each other, when we're not together, I'm basically communicating to everybody else that I'm still available. You've not limited your freedom for the sake of genuine love to flourish. Let me illustrate it in a different way. The parent-child relationship. This is a different way to look at covenantal relationships, but it, it speaks to the, the, the purpose of marriage. Being a parent is emotionally distressing. All parents immediately agree with this point. It's emotionally distressing to have children. It's, or maybe you're not a parent, but you've been on an airplane where there's been a child. You know it's emotionally distressing for everybody, especially for the parent. I had a, a, a plane flight once where uh, a kid was kicking me in the back of my chair, just kicking. Both feet, boom, boom, boom. And I'd turn around and look at the dad and be like, hey, what's going on here? You see this? And he would try and talk to his kid, and it would make no difference, and he'd just keep kicking me. So that wasn't a fun flight, but I got through it. The point is that raising children can be, the, 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 the love that's expressed is very much one way for, for a huge amount of time. It's from the parent to the child. And it's socially frowned upon. Um, there's a lot of stigma around um, parents who abandon their children. It's a terrible thing to abandon your children. And that the reason for that is that we view parent-child relationships as covenantal relationships. We view them that way. 
And we should view them that way because children need their parents. But it's that covenant-type commitment. It's that as a parent says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness, that could be applied to parenting too. I have chosen. Because, you know, it's hard to love these little people sometimes. Sometimes they're glorious and amazing, but other, you know, especially when they're pooping and peeing on you, and that's tough. And then when they're disobeying you, that's tough. And they, they make you feel stressed and make you crazy. They, honestly. But there's times where they're wonderful too. But that, that's the commitment you have. You say, I'm fully committed to these kids. I love them with all my heart. I'm fully committed. And I know over the years, the only way we can express this full love, the only way we can have this long-term loving relationship is if I stick with them through these valleys. That is exactly the same picture of what marriage is supposed to be like. But we have failed marriage. We failed what it's supposed to be like because we're not willing to glue ourselves together and be like that, make it permanent, make it a lifetime. Let's apply this. Let's not just hear this. Let's apply this. Go ahead and grab out that communication card you have in your program. We don't want to just hear this stuff. We want to do something with it. So go ahead, everybody, everyone, please, if you didn't get a chance yet, grab out that card you have. And uh, we want to take some steps. So go ahead and fill out the front of the card if you didn't get a chance. And then on the back, we have some steps. And that first one is for new people. It says, uh, it's a rem reminder to get that free gift as you leave. And the second one is an invitation to a newcomer's breakfast. And there's more information on the screen about that. So please uh, sign up for that if you're new. And the third one says about attending more of uh, this series. And so I want to call it, this is so crucial for us to learn the way of faithfulness. And we're going to be going through, and then especially next week, is going to be a hugely foundational week for understanding the, the, the profound mystery and purpose uh, beneath marriage. So I really want to call us all to uh, be really committed to this series, to, to, to try and attend more of this series. So if, you're not, if you can't make it next week, try and come on another week. But Make that commitment today. Say, say, I want to attend more of this series. I want to learn more about this so that I can grow. Even if marriage isn't in your future, or even if you're uncertain about it, um, you, there's still going to be so much good for you in this uh, process we go through. And then the next step there says, uh, bring a friend back with you next week. So if there's somebody in your life that you think they'd really benefit from this, go ahead, extend the invitation this week, and, and bring them back with you. And then that other one there, it should have a little box around it, but it doesn't. But it says, I'm interested in the, uh, joining this small group. Right now, don't wait any longer. Find the best small group for you and write the code in right there and, and be committed in that small group. And, and we've got a couple of groups who are doing marriage curriculum. It'll be a great thing to do. Uh, we even had a group, I think it's full now, unfortunately, but it's specifically for singles to go through a marriage curriculum as well. That group is full, um, unfortunately. But, but please find the best group for you and sign up. And you can write down a prayer request and take other steps on there. And then we'll receive that in at the end of the sermon with the offering envelope. Now, let me, let me try and wrap this up here. A covenant is a promise of future love. That's what a covenant is. A saying, when you stand there and, and with, you know, with your, spout, you know, your, your bride or your groom on that wedding day, and you're, you're, you're making that covenant, you're saying, I'm, I'm promising to love you for the rest of your life. Shouldn't there be nothing more romantic than that? Doesn't that sound pretty romantic? And that sounds like that should be in a, in a, in a pop song or something or in a poem. I'm, I'm promising you all my future love. I'm, pro, I'm, I'm giving it to you. That sounds pretty amazing to me. This idea, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. Sadly, though, we circumvent this way of faithfulness today. And we go down, we, we, our cultures walk down a different pathway. You know, in, in 1960, not, not too long ago, hardly anybody cohabitated. It was extraordinarily rare. But now, more than half of couples cohabitate. And the reason, I think the real reason is, is out of fear. Out of people have had seen maybe their parents' marriage fail, or, they've, or, or people are just very negative and, 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 and uh, got negative attitudes in our culture towards marriage. And people tend to give two practical reasons for cohabitating. First one is 
discovering compatibility. So it's like, let's not complicate things with marriage. If we just, you know, live together, we'll figure out each other, and then we'll know if, and if we're not compatible, then we can just go our separate ways, and it'll be easier. It sounds logical, and maybe you've said that. Maybe you're doing that right now, and it, it's a very, I mean, you've got a 50-50 chance now because it's 50% of couples are cohabitating. Here's the problem with this way of thinking is it's totally illogical, and it's not true. There is, a mount, there is mounting research that cohabitation before marriage actually increases your chances of divorce. Now, the social scientists that study this aren't sure why that is created, but they can't disprove the outcome of it, that you're actually at greater risk for divorce if you cohabitate before you get married. The second practical reason that's given is a financial one. So people say, we want to own a home one day, or we want to just be more financially stable. And so if we get married, marriage is a financial drain. This is the idea. Marriage will drain our funds uh, rather than helping us become financially secure. Again, it's in some level, it might make sense. It might sound logical. Anybody who says this hasn't looked at the numbers, hasn't done the math on it. Studies also show that people who get and stay married have 72% more wealth at retirement than those who do not. That is shocking. And another shocking statistic is that men... Married men earn 10 to 40% more than single men who have a similar uh, education and work history. So the, only, the main difference for them is that one man is married and the other isn't. So men, if you want to increase your salary, get married. That might help you. You might say, how, how is this possible? How, is this, how does this work? How, how does marriage achieve this? Well, marriage is proven to, uh, to, to increase your health, both physical health and mental health. It helps you cope better with discouragements and sickness and tragedy. Spouses hold each other to greater responsibilities and to greater, more mature habits because they're willing to say, I've chosen the way of faithfulness. I'm, in your dark moments, in the, in the valleys, my covenant will keep me, my love, my covenantal love for you will keep me going through this so that we can experience those peaks again as they come. If we want true, permanent, exclusive, exclusive love, there is no other way than that dang piece of paper. There's just no other way around it than saying, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. This resonates in our hearts. This is an eternal truth that resonates in our hearts. And the Bible makes it clear here, verse 32 of our passage, the Apostle Paul says, he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is a living metaphor for our relationship with God. God is so wise he has declared the gospel to all people groups through all throughout all history through the most central institution in all civilizations through marriage. That when you see a good marriage, you know, it's kind of a sappy thing to bring up, but I guess in the, in the notebook, uh, it's kind of a sappy movie, I know. But um, at, the end of, you know, it's, at the end of the movie, this, you see this wonderful life that they've lived together and how it all ends together. And, and there's something that, in, that does something in your heart. You know it's right and good, even though it's kind of a cheesy movie. You know it's, there's something good and beautiful in that. But even though, even though um, I won't ruin the ending for you. If you haven't seen it, I was going to ruin the ending for you. But hopefully you've seen it by now. It's such an old movie. Um, but it, it, it points to this eternal truth that we want forever love. We want even, even people newly in, in relationships, in romantic relationships, will even say, use phrases like, we want this to last forever. They'll use the word forever. But no human relationship can, can give you that because it's not forever. It's finite because we, we die, we pass away. That's why it's a metaphor. It's a living picture to the gospel, to how much God loves us, the covenant that God makes with us. You know, when you get married, 
if you get married, you're, you're promising future love to someone. You're promising unconditional love. You're making a vow and a commitment. And that is exactly what Jesus does for us. Grace, it's a covenant. We've entered into a covenant of grace with Jesus. But it's, it's a covenant that he makes from him to us. You see, no human being can perfectly keep a covenant. We're always, we're always covenant breakers. Some are better than others. Some keep our vows better than others. But at some point, we're imperfect, so we break the covenant. Jesus never breaks the covenant. He never ever, ever breaks the covenant with us. His covenant is forever. It's a promise of unconditional love in the future, not based on what we've done. It's a scary thing to marry someone and say, I'll love you no matter what. That's a very scary commitment to make. But that is exactly what Jesus has done for us in dying on the cross in our place. Our wrongdoing must be taken away from us. It has to be taken away from us. And the only way it can be taken away is through the, the free forgiveness of our sins, through Jesus dying on the cross for us. It's the only way. It's the greatest thing we've got to hear. We're going to celebrate it. Band, let's have the band come back up. We're going to celebrate this. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to enjoy the grace of Jesus today. But if you don't know it yet, if you don't know what it's like to have that, that relationship with God, that relationship with Jesus, there's two ways you can tell us today if you want to take that step today. On, on the back of that communication card in the top right-hand section, there's a box that says, help me become a follower of Jesus. You can tell us there. But also as we take communion, we're going to be, um, uh, as we worship in just a moment, we're going to be coming forward. Believers are going to come forward and take communion. But instead of receiving communion right away, you can step to the side and our prayer team will be over here ready to pray with you and talk with you uh, if you want to make that decision today. But actually, if you want prayer for anything, if your marriage is suffering or you're, just, you're going through any kind of hardship or difficulty or you, you, need, you know, physically you need healing in your body, whatever it may be, come for prayer. Just get your communion, stand to the side and our prayer team will... Uh, wait for you to take it, and then they'll be able to pray with you and minister to you there. Let's remember this. Let's remember the words of Scripture that says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. This is the foundation to the gospel we have, to having fruitful relationships with each other, and especially successful marriages. This vow, this covenant, you need that dang piece of paper. Let's stand up, and let's continue in worship.